Hello and welcome to The Outdoorium, the conversational marketplace for business entrepreneurs and partners working in the outdoor holiday industry. I'm Wendy Harris. And I'm Vanessa Glossett. And together we'll be speaking with some of the inspirational people behind the scenes of the vibrant holiday market around the UK. We hope you enjoy the series. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast. We are joined today by UK tourism expert Robin Barker. Good morning, everyone. Hi. (laughs) Robin has a pretty prolific experience of UK tourism um, and very varied, very varied experience in the sector. Um, Most recently appointed as chair of Visit Exmoor. Congratulations. Thank you for that. Uh, I have no idea what it's going to entail, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. And it's a lovely area. And uh, my belief is I can help them. So um, I thought it was about time I did something a little bit different because variety is the the spice of life, as they say. And I'm looking forward to actually getting to explore some bits of Exmoor that I have probably not been to in the past. So, yeah, just a bit of, of, of something different, really. Brilliant. And it's one of the great things about doing different roles in different uh, sort of regions is learning about different areas. And I will openly admit that my geography is still not great. Whenever I go to different places like North Devon, I really have to get the Google Maps maps out to to help me navigate around. So we're going to kick off straight away. So who is Robin Barker and where have you come from and what motivated you to do what you do today? (laughs) Um, long, long question. I could I could talk for hours on that and have done in the past. Um, but something actually I reflected with my children um, over Christmas when they were asking a similar-ish question. Um, if I go back to, you know, leaving university and being on the milk round and applying for jobs and, you know, on advice of my dad, I went and applied to all the, the big corporates um, who had great graduate entry schemes and so on. And one of the very last interviews I had was was with actually an international oxygen production company. And the interviewer there got halfway through and said, look, I've been reading your CV and your background and so on, and you've applied for this job here. And yes, I can ask the usual question about why do you want to do it? But you clearly love outdoors. At university, you were into sailing, you love traveling, um, you love exploring, you take children on outdoor pursuit uh, breaks. Why do you want to work for a company like this? Why don't you want to go and work in travel and tourism and sailing um, internationally? And I couldn't answer it, to be honest. And I, I left that interview and had a good long think and then started applying for completely different jobs um, mm-hmm. and ended up doing a season in Greece, um, looking after visitors and teaching a bit of windsurfing and um just loving travel. And that was the first step into travel and tourism. Um, And I persuaded the company to carry on employing me. And um, they did. Um, Sadly, they went bust the following year. Um, But I then again landed on my feet a little bit because it was just when Saga Holidays was buying up the recently bankrupted Laker Air Holidays and they were desperately employing people. And I got... uh, invited to apply, and I started in London at eight o'clock the following morning, um, trying to sort out 
who was still booked for something that they had no idea they had taken over. So a lot of contact with businesses, masses of piles of paper um, all over the place and just trying to work out what on earth was happening. And, and I, I did that. I can't say I necessarily enjoyed that little bit, but um, someone obviously saw something in me because <laughs> after I think about a month of that, I got invited to um, go to Saga's head office, which was in Folkestone in Kent, and become um, their the manager of the regional sales force, which I had never thought I would be doing. And I was given this sales team of 35 people and told the first thing I had to do was reduce it to 20. So um, absolutely thrown in at the deep end. The first thing I had to do was, was get rid of 15 people. Um, and... Uh, and train and educate and so on. But I spent six years with Saga and it's one of the best training grounds ever. I looked after um, group travel. I looked after the database, which was you know, one of the best databases in tourism and actually in any sector. Generally, it was regarded in those days that Time Life, American Express, um, Reader's Digest and Saga were the best database marketing companies around. Um, and we had a database of um, up to 4 million businesses, oh, uh, customers, uh, older people. Um, obviously, this was pre-email days, but um, I became the guru in database marketing there, um, as well as still getting some great travel opportunities. Um, probably my favorite little anecdote was looking after the Windscale Retired Employees Association, um, who every year sent a group of 400 people on a special train from Workington in Cumbria to wherever, including Newquay, Eastbourne, um, so many other places with trains that literally took all day to get there because they had to stop in sidings whenever any faster trains were going through. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I joined those and... Uh, and, and some extraordinary experiences and, and stories I could tell, but uh, probably haven't got time for today. But uh, <laughs> but no, so many pluses from that. Thoroughly enjoyed it, learned so much. Um, and in effect, became a bit of a database marketing guru. Mm. Yes, you kind of stumbled into this sector then, haven't you? you it's, it's, it's always interesting when I when I talk to various different people. It's like, did you plan? I'm going to go and work in tourism. I'm going to work in the hospitality interest mm. industry, or did it just naturally happen? And I didn't actually think about it. I mean, we didn't actually write a business plan and go, we're going to build a SaaS product for the outdoor holiday industry. It happened organically. We kind of thrown into it in a way. So it's it's fascinating listening to that. Um, yeah, I didn't plan any of this. And still, I don't. still, to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty lousy at planning. But, you know, I'm now old enough to know what I've enjoyed and what I enjoy doing and the things I don't enjoy doing. Yeah. So, you know, interestingly, when I left Saga, I did not regard myself as a travel person. I regarded myself as a database marketing person. Interesting. And so my next job was in a consultancy where I was working with clients, including um, financial services, publishing, um, marketing development and it wasn't until I'd been there a while that we picked up our first travel and tourism client and that was the one that that actually I enjoyed more um, yeah. and uh, but you know I was there on the on the conference circuit back then talking about um, marketing to the over 55s which you know from my saga background I was a, an absolute leading guru 
uh, uh, doing. Um, but yeah, two years doing that, and I decided that actually I didn't really enjoy consultancy um, because actually I preferred doing things rather than advising other people how to do things. And in consultancy, one of my big frustrations was you put your heart and soul into advising businesses what to do. And then you yeah, give no. them this report and all the recommendations. And in all probability, they then wouldn't do it. They do it badly or um, or it just sat on the shelf. Yeah. And, and to my mind, that was frustrating. I wanted to then go and see it through to, to fruition. Um, but a little bit frustrating. But then we'd also then decided that <clears throat> it was time for a life change. <clears throat> so... Um, um, We'd enjoyed sailing and uh, um, we'd been thinking, this my wife and I, we thought, you know, come retirement, we'll go off sailing and do do a very long trip and live on a boat and so on. But friends of ours have been planning to do that and it got to older life stage and they decided that they were not healthy enough for doing that. And we we went on a holiday in, in the Mediterranean and came back and said, that's the wrong time to do it. The time to do something like that is now, um, before children. So we went into maximum saving and earned some money and bought a boat, which I still have, um, in Milo in Cornwall. Um, and um, 18 months after making the decision, we upsticked and um, sailed off from Falmouth and um, went through the French canals and spent three summers sailing around the Mediterranean. Um, wow, that sounds amazing. Coming back. <laughs> coming back for winters to do some jobs and short-term project work and a bit of consultancy, a bit of lecturing um, yeah. and so on. And, uh, and absolutely loved it and no regrets. And although my dad at the time said, you can't do that, it would look awful on your CV. The reality was, um, I think every time I've applied for anything since I've had an interview, because that's exactly what people want to talk about. People going off on a big adventure and traveling yeah. and uh, I think sometimes people just aren't brave enough to 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 take that leap of faith and 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 just do something that they really love doing and and I think if if someone an employer a potential employer um is interviewing someone who who has taken such a risk I think it's a very exciting prospect that you know it, it, you've got someone really, really special sitting in front of you and perhaps you should employ them you probably have lots to talk about as well yeah. if you went off on a sabbatical and say right I'm going to travel the world well you're going to come back with some stories and it would mm. do if you just stayed in in our case if I just stayed in Cornwall and did yeah. the same thing day in and day out and I suppose well, this makes our industry interesting yeah if I had written a book about it it was going to be called I wish I could do that because when we told people what we were going to do that was everyone's response they would say I wish I could do that and mm. we would then say you can and mm. then they would come up with all these reasons why they couldn't and we'd go through them one at a time and um, the vast majority still wouldn't do it one actually got to the end of that and said you know we can do it too and they followed us six months later sold up and, and went off traveling and actually became um, international sailing correspondent for one of the yachting mags and so on. So um, I would like to think we've had a, an impact. Um, but yeah, by the time we got to third year, Creek Islands were beginning to look a bit like each other. Um, so headed back. And unlike everyone we knew, I had a very early laptop on the boat and a very old Canon bubble jet printer well, it was new at the time, but um, <laughs> nowadays it would be very old. Um, and 
started writing letters and sending them to contacts. Um, and by the time we got back to Falmouth, actually England in autumn of the third year, um, I had an invitation to go and meet someone in Truro about a possible job and also an invitation to go and talk to Saga Holidays again. And so we did both of those. And for the next couple of years, I ended up weekly commuting to Folkestone in Kent um, doing a database marketing project with them. But and also... Where was that? That was Saga Holidays again. Okay. In, in Kent. Um, but also working... Um, on a project to build a network of quality bed and breakfasts in Cornwall. Oh, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and sadly, the funding for the latter one was cut short. So um, it never really saw the light of day, but it was really interesting giving us a prompt to going and, and visiting and meeting some businesses who are still, I, I count as friends, um, some businesses and hearing about some of those experiences there. Mm. Um, meanwhile, um, dog arrived and first children arrived on the scene and we settled into Cornwall and loved it and um, decided I really didn't want to be commuting up to uh, to Kent and we managed to build up the business in in uh, Cornwall and doing a variety of projects and the, the next one we big one we really picked up um, was working on a scheme called Visit which was a visitor information system using IT uh-huh. which yeah. <laughs> involved me using some European funding, um, getting computers into the visitor information centre network across the whole Southwest, um, amongst, you know, businesses who were not familiar with computers at all, and telling them the benefits of having a computer and sharing a database and product information and so on. And when um, was this? When was this this period of time? So we're now talking mid-90s. Mid-90s. So, yeah. I'm still at school yeah. at this point, okay, just for the record. <laughs> Pre-internet. Um, yeah. You know, and I remember going and doing a pitch to one local authority council in Cornwall talking about computers and systems and and one of the audience members saying, well, you know, you're talking about computers, but let's face it, computers are like, um, and I'll never forget this quote. <laughs> Computers are like ladies' shoes. If we wait six months, they'll go out of fashion, and then we can all go back to how things used to be. Really? Um, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I remember somewhat gobsmacked at that one and thinking, oh, no, that one no. isn't going to happen. It's just going to carry on um, changing our lives and so on. But, I mean, that was that was great. And, again, built up my knowledge and contacts of lots of tourism businesses across the Southwest, um, various other projects, a feasibility study that I was involved in got me meeting a few people. And as a result of that, um, yes, I then did get an invite to be head of marketing for the launch of the Maritime Museum in Falmouth. I was going to say, I thought you worked at the National Maritime yep. Museum for a little while. Two, yep. two so years two years there yeah. from building site to opening, um, building up sponsorship relationships, securing corporate money, building up profile, um, getting ready for launch. And that was a, a full-on, very exciting time, which, again, um, really enjoyed actually building something tangible. It wasn't consultancy telling him what to do. It was it was very much doing it. Um, and what a wonderful facility it is. I mean, it's and, just such a huge cultural centre for the Southwest. Yeah, it, It's brilliant for families. I've been many, many times... And I never get bored whenever I go. It's just they lay on such amazing exhibitions. Yeah. 
and a lot of learning. So much a part of that. Yeah, a lot of learning went into it. And I mean, one of my interesting learnings there was I took someone around when it was a building site and I told him all the stories of what was going to be there. And um, then the museum opened and in its early days, it was still finding its feet. And he, he phoned me up six months afterwards and said, I went round today. Um, it's nothing like as good as it was when you showed me round. And I said, well, well, what do you mean? I mean, there were no boats there then. Uh, now it's full of boats. <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's full of boats. But there were no stories. There was no one there actually bringing them to life. And one of the things I'm really delighted about is that since then they've brought in more volunteers and storytellers mm. to, to bring those exhibits to life. And to be honest, without that, um, I don't think it would happen. And I think there's a lot of learning to be had from that in just about everything one does in, in tourism. Mm. Um, but anyway, that, I mean, that got to the end of its two years. And I was then looking at what next and having a conversation with um, Malcolm Bell, who at the time was chief exec of Southwest Tourism, who said, um, there's an opening just coming up in Exeter. Why didn't you apply for it? Um, and I did with lots of misgivings and um, ended up having an interview and then a second interview and then was offered the job. And then had to think long and hard about whether I wanted to uproot from Cornwall to Devon and and so on. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And the head teacher of my children's school said, move, your children will thank you just for being an hour and a half closer to the rest of the world. Oh, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> because at the time, you know, there, were, there weren't really flights into Newquay, domestic flights. It was much harder getting anywhere and so on. And uh, I took the advice. And But at the time I said, I'm going to go and do this, but I'm going to do it for no more than five years the aim being to use it to build my network and profile so that I can go back into running my own business in five years' time. Yeah. Um, and I failed because I stayed there for five years and one day. Oh, <laughs> that extra day. It's interesting, though, that, that 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 consideration moving out of Cornwall and going into Devon. I mean, in the 90s, I was, uh, you know, I moved into Cornwall from Wales. So my parents wanted to come to Cornwall to live the dream. They they just had, the, they were romanticising about Cornwall. Like, we're going to move to Cornwall. And I remember, you know, having, you know, go straight into year six at primary school into Cornwall, which was the, the dialect was completely different to my Welsh accent at the time. So. <laughs> so yeah so how, how did you find moving you know um, from one county to one county to another with children was it a um, hard experience was it easy oh my eldest said we can't move dad because i have to have a danish a daily cornish pasty so i had to, <laughs> I had to promise him that um I would go and buy freezer packs of Cornish pasties and deliver them to, to Devon <laughs> you couldn't get them in Devon at the time yeah um, but I mean we had a bit of a a mitigation in that we kept our boat in Cornwall. Oh, so, brilliant. Um, so we still had a Cornwall base and we still have a Cornwall base and, you know, we love Cornwall as well. So yeah. um, that was the mitigation and, and the children still call, call themselves Cornish and, and go go there and so on as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Devon is a lovely county too and it is closer to the rest of the world, um, mm -hmm. but it's not too far from, from Cornwall and Exmoor and so many places that... You know, that I love to go and visit and, and experience. So, and not too bad. 
the job. Um, you know, it was it was marketing director and deputy chief exec of, of a regional tourist board, which was going through a lot of change. And uh, inevitably, there were good bits and bad bits there. Um, a lot of liaison with public sector, um, all the local authority tourism officers, Visit Britain, um, councils, regional development agencies and so on. Um, but the bit I enjoyed most was liaison with small businesses and particularly those who who were keen to become better and and more effective businesses and more profitable and so on. So, yes, there I was looking after marketing and information and quality and um, membership and skills um, had, had a very, very wide remit. Um, and toward the end of the five years, it was clear that Southwest Tourism was going to be um, shutting down sooner or later. And uh, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to say, well, um, I am more than happy to be leaving. Um, there is one thing that Southwest Tourism runs, which I know you can't carry on running because you haven't got the budget, and that's the Southwest Tourism Awards. Um, I would be more than happy to carry on running that in your name. You don't need to pay me to do it because I believe that there's a business model there. And, mm -hmm. and that was agreed upon um, with no handover of money. And I left with the contract to run the Southwest Awards. Um, and, you know, that has carried on, but it has transformed from what was a fairly minimal activity with a focus on giving people a logo and a bit of an award to a genuine year-round quality development programme with far, far wider involvement of business and small business and far, far more interaction with businesses in terms of mm. helping them get better. And to be honest, we've loved it. Um, from the Southwest Awards, um, we fairly soon picked up a contract to run the Cornwall Tourism Awards, which um, they had been running within Visit Cornwall, but again, couldn't afford to. And we said we can run it at no cost um, because we will talk to the businesses that serve and liaise with tourism and so on. And uh, and for a few years, a few years later, we we talked to visit Devon as well as then and said, you know, Devon could do this, too. Um, and we launched the Devon Tourism Awards. And a few years after that, similarly in Dorset and then most recently in Bristol Bath and Somerset. And um, and when people now stop me in a lift and ask what I do, uh, the one liner is we help businesses get better. Um, and that's absolutely what we love doing um yeah. giving them the feedback sharing ideas that uh, we can pick up from um industry contacts from profile from sponsors and so on mm. on helping these businesses become more profitable less stressed out more sustainable um you name it and uh, yeah. probably more than anything else uh, is what we enjoy doing um we're never going to get rich from it um but, you know, richness is about tapestry of life and all that. It's not necessarily about money. And uh, we really enjoy doing it. Which is fantastic. And what, what people won't see when they're listening to this is how much you're smiling all the way through this. And um, so it's, it's so, so services for tourism then. So this um, award scheme. So you've been running this in total for how many years now? If you were to combine them all together? Um, 
Well, I was looking after the awards as part of my remit when I was at Southwest Tourism, where I left in 2008. So mm. that's 14 years ago. So that was just one of the things I was doing there. Since then, the awards have, have yeah, absorbed the majority of my time. There have been some other projects. Um, yes, I've been um, on the board of Tourism Management Institute for, um, I think, all of those 14 years and, and have been president for three years and uh, various other roles with there. So that's liaising with destinations right across the UK. Um, mm -hmm. I've been on the board of the Tourism Alliance nationally for a few years, um, on the committee for the Southwest Tourism Alliance. And yes, as of this week, I'm now chairman of, of Visit Exmoor. So- um, Congratulations. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I, will, uh, I will be kept still very busy. Um, and we also do run the Beautiful South Awards, which covers the southeast of England, mm. where, again, the Regional Tourist Board used to run it themselves, um, were struggling to, um, both in terms of finances and so on, and by basically using the same model as we use elsewhere and sharing costs. Uh, we've been running those now um, alongside Tourism Southeast for, for 10 years as well. Um, slightly yeah. different model, but again, you know, we, we love doing it and have got to know so many businesses and we learn from it. Um, it's not about us going around and telling businesses how to be great. Mm. It's about us going and seeing things and listening to some and then just sharing some of the experiences that we can pick up confidentially with others in terms of, you know, have you thought about doing X, Y, Z? Yeah, I bet it's lots of conversations you've had over the years. And I think when you're when your role, you um I always see you celebrating, you know, always celebrating something. And I think that's just really magical. So if it was one thing that you could say that was the highlight of my career running this business so far, could you pin it on something? Oh um <laughs> ah. I mean it's in terms really of services in terms of services for tourism. Um, um, yeah, I mean, a few years ago, a little bit of a surprise, we had an awards event and um, halfway through it, um, totally off schedule, someone else went on stage and started speaking and then um, presented an outstanding contribution award to me, Yay! Which, which was a bit of a shock. Sorry. But completely well deserved though, Robin, because I mean, as the listeners will agree, listening to your story, you've done so much, you've seen so much, you've so many, so much. you've contributed so much, yeah. Mm. And you know, the network that you've built up around the whole um services for tourism tourism awards scheme is just phenomenal. And you should be really, really proud of that. Because it's not just we're huge supporters and we we actually do sponsor the awards. We we sponsor various accommodation categories. Um and we've we've done it in Devon and, and Cornwall and um down in the beautiful south and I think Dorset this year as well. And our intentions are to keep growing our, our you know in our own contribution to, to to the the sponsoring of the awards um 
But yeah, we're huge fans and it's not just the businesses that learn from one another. The sponsors learn from one another. Mm. Um, we, it's just a wonderful network. We, we all enjoy it so much and we, we all, you know, get so much out of it. So thank you because it, it, it's just incredible what you've, what you've managed to, to build up and achieve. And I think Robin's actually slightly <laughs> blushing here so. <laughs> because I, I think it's really hard to take a moment to, to say to yourself, yes, actually, I'm working really hard here yeah. and you know I'm investing my time my energy my love for what I'm doing and that is fantastic because I I think we we never take a moment to actually celebrate that ourselves and most business owners that I talk to as well they go they're always doubtful oh, I'm not good enough or oh, I'm not doing something quite right you know I'm always trying to work a bit harder but I think this is great because what you're doing is celebrating yeah now you this um I mean, this has all been inevitably focused on me um and I would Absolutely. be remiss if I didn't <laughs> say that you know we are a team um yeah. I mean there's a team of three of us who run it and um Nell who is a co-director of services for tourism um has led very much in Somerset and has been a partner on just about everything Brilliant. and um and she was a tourism officer in Somerset and she was when I was at Southwest Tourism one of the ones who absolutely stood out for her commitment to excellence and quality and connecting with small businesses and um yes um we bounce ideas off we don't always agree we have long discussions about all kinds of things mm. um but um you know a lot of it wouldn't have been possible without her and she is fantastic and oh, the fact that we've got you know this year 70 um volunteer judges who've been out visiting and liaising with businesses, giving feedback unpaid. Um, and um, they are a fantastic network as well. And, and again, I count many of them as friends um, because we have got to know them over such a long time. Um, similarly with sponsors, um, you, know, you know, yes, we, we certainly go and have beers or, or <laughs> glasses of Prosecco with sponsors whenever we're allowed. Yeah. It was lovely when we had this Monday uh, a sponsor workshop, which was the highest participation grouping of sponsors we've had ever, um, 35 of the sponsors. And what was amazing there was seeing all the chat conversations going on between sponsors um, <laughs> with one sponsor saying, well, yeah, I'm looking for this. Can you help? Absolutely. Get in touch. Mm. Fantastic. Um, you know, if we can put quality oriented businesses together, then it's kind of what we do. Yeah. And I think you're well versed in sort of using Zoom now. And I think one of the things that the pandemic has done, as much as all of the, the negative side, which has been, you know, for pretty much everybody in this industry, really challenging. But I think the silver lining is the, you know, the ability for people to still continue networking. Yeah. And, you know, I've been on a, a couple of your sort of Zoom sessions and they are really interactive. Yeah, they and are. It's a bit overwhelming when you see so many little cells on your screen with so many faces. And I'm like, OK, I'm, I think I'm in here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see myself. So have you have you found, you know, going through the pandemic, do you feel that there was the, you know, did were there any challenges that, going on going on the opposite to what's been your highlight what do you say was the most challenging thing that you've had to overcome over certainly the recent few years that we've all been experiencing oh, I mean, the last two years has, has everything we've done has required planning consideration um a bit of a discussion um then usually a dog walk 
um, because dog walk is when, in my case, I think about things, reflect, um, and then usually come back with some better opinions on things. And, you mm. know, the formats of events, we had never been on Zoom or Teams until two years ago. Um, never. Um, we've mm. kind of heard about these things. Um, and literally in March 2020, we sat down. This was Nell, me, and um, Kate from Cosmic in East Devon, who is a you know IT guru and trainer. And we said, look, can you talk to us about online meetings and what to use? And she talked through Zoom and Teams and gave us the pluses and minuses of each. Um, and we then went away and played a little bit. Um, then came pandemic. And um, we looked at those two and we did an enormous amount of research. And we said, um, Zoom seems to be the one that's a little bit more friendly and is less bandwidth hungry and mm -hmm. is therefore more likely to be uh, usable by small rural businesses who maybe have a lousy internet connection. So let's start with that. And we joined in quite a lot of webinars and quite a lot of the webinars seem to be people talking at us. Yeah. Um, and that's not what we wanted. We wanted conversations and we wanted it interactive. So we said, no, we, we don't want to be doing webinars. We want to see lots of faces on screen. We, you know, we want to get the smile and the human interaction. We work in hospitality. Yeah. <laughs> is about people to people and we want to get it as close to that as we possibly can mm. um, and we we hummed and hard about so many things and we did get some feedback that there was a an online event run for the tech industry that everyone said was brilliant and we watched it and we thought yeah that is brilliant that is so slick and um we then started talking to the organizers about it and said, you know, could we maybe use your technology and so on? And they they said, um, yeah, what we used hop in as a as a software. Um, and um it was brilliant and it was super slick and so on. And we said, well, we're thinking about doing this for the awards event. And you know, what are the downsides? And they said, well, well, to run that, I mean, A, we had a team of 15 people behind the scenes actually running it and managing bits and managing breakouts mm. b we had to get all the sponsors in um for a training session the week before to make yeah. sure they knew how it would work um mm. we then had to have the winners in for rehearsals to make sure that that was all super slick mm. and we got to the end of that conversation and Mel and i then looked at each other and said well that's probably very good for them but it's not right for us it's yeah you know, we want you know businesses who are not familiar with this. And we ended up coming up with the concept that we'd have a meet the finalists to familiarize people with Zoom and awards and sponsors. And then we'd follow it up with an awards day when we would space things out during the day, make sure that everyone had good time for conversation, um, make sure that it was, um, we'd have everyone's photos on, on screen. And it, I mean, it was exhausting, I have to say. Um, it was even more exhausting than a face-to-face -face awards event but the feedback we had was um that was like no no zoom event i've been on any other time it was fun um and from sponsors saying we actually had more connections and more engagement with more businesses than we ever used to going to a sit-down event plonk next to two people 
Um, mm -hmm. And much as we still want to have face-to-face, -face, um, that worked for us as sponsors better than anything. So, um, you know, that was eye-opening. And um, we have literally already this morning been going through thoughts about what we do this year and what we do differently and what we do the same. And my line is, we've learned a lot. I, mm. I wouldn't change much. Um, I think we want to do very similar to that, but we do want to follow it up with some face-to-face -face events because we want to see people as well. Yeah, it is interesting. Do you remember when um, it, Zoom was becoming a lot more mainstream? And what I always find fascinating, we've been using screen sharing before the pandemic and before people really knew what screen sharing was. And we were using something called, um, you know, GoToMeet, you know, just as something plug in. And we used to spend quite a lot of time because we were working with campsites and holiday parks and that sort of thing. And they've never used this sort of thing before. And what I found amazing now is um i have an online diary scheduler so people can go and book a meeting with me and they have an option of would you like a zoom or an audio call and i find it amusing that i have to use the word audio call as in like you're going to actually type some numbers in and i'm not going to see your face we're just going to have a conversation and what i love about this this holds like shall we have a zoom meeting so it's it's standardized it's normalized for everybody now even if you use meets or you know google meets or other you know sort of um screen sharing services we still say zoom yeah it's the new hoover yeah it's the new hoover I'm just gonna hoover the house yeah i'm just gonna use zoom yeah so i find it fascinating what i really like about the, the zooms that i've attended with you is is the participation rate being so high yeah. and seeing so many people in the room have you yet exceeded the maximum number you're allowed on zoom yet are you close to that well, again, part of discussion today that the maximum we had last last set of awards was um, 85 people registered. And um, I mean, you can get 50 on a on a screen. Um, 100 is two screens. <laughs> we, you know, if you get to that sort of numbers, then you need to have breakouts and, and split people down. Uh, we don't want to have more than um, 50 if if we're presenting because it's just too many we won't be able to people to be able to see each other um, yeah. for me the finalists it's okay as long as we we split people up a bit and encourage lots of conversation so no but it's been about restricting it and when we are planning awards events we are looking at who they are and saying no we need to cut that back in order not to make it too big we don't want big um for this, it, it gets away from it. And, and, you know, sponsors want to have conversations with people. Yeah. They don't necessarily yeah. want to be um, there on a pedestal being looked at and listened to, but without the opportunity to interact. And, and it, it's, it would be kind of yeah. contrary to, to how we love working, um, yeah. which is, you know, getting out to meet people as much as is possible. Absolutely. I think businesses learn so much from each other as well. And I think what's always great is, you know, do you remember in the early days with Zoom, I say the early days, like it's a thing, like it's been going back for decades. We're talking a couple of years, aren't we? You know, but 
back at the beginning of normalized Zoom sessions, there was this whole concept about Zoom fatigue and how you'd feel so tired with being on Zoom all day. And I would restrict myself and say, I'm only going to go on Zoom for a maximum of two and a half hours in my working day. But what's quite funny now is that I can handle a Zoom all day. And when I start to meet people in real life fresh, I'm knackered from doing that. Whereas before I get really tired just Zooming. So, uh, so here's a question. How often in your day on average do you think you spend on Zoom at the moment? Well, the great thing about my job is that <laughs> apart from the fact that I will walk the dogs virtually every day and I will make a cup of coffee in the morning, there is no such thing as an average day. Mm-hmm. So um, this week we have had two awards panels meeting. So yesterday I was four hours in a Zoom panel, but it was one where I was there in an advisory role. So actually I was doing an enormous amount of emails and social media in background. The previous day I was in a four hour um, Dorset panel um, followed by a, um, the sponsor Zoom. So Monday this week, total of five hours. Um, and I was exhausted totally at the end of it. Um, this Friday, um, none. So um, <laughs> and, and, and next week at present, um, I have one Zoom all week. Um, so it, every, every day is different and mm-hmm. I will work around that. So yeah, next week's very much a catch up week. Yeah. Um, and this, uh, yeah, there's this Teams and, and all the other ones as well, um, and uh, um, WebEx. Um, and some of them seem to like each other and not like each other. So, um, yeah, there's so many options out there. It's like we just recently did a review on Zoom or Google Meets because, you know, we're using Gmail to power our, our emails and uh, Google Meets as part of our suite that we have. And it's like, oh, you know, maybe I could just save a bit of money and not use Zoom and use Google Meets. And I tell you what, my entire Anytime team were just like, Wendy, no, we love Zoom. Zoom has to stay. We can't cope with changing. <laughs> So I'm like, fair one. I mean, it, I do, I am a huge fan of Zoom, actually. I do think that it's got better picture quality, better audio quality. I do like how you can break out into different rooms. Yeah. And it's pretty versatile. And I did look at, we looked at using Hopin for our own conferences um, a few years ago. You know, it's got a hefty price tag to it. But yes, yeah. you say, you need a big team to really manage that and execute it well. Interesting that you're with Google, because we've just migrated everything away from Google to um, Microsoft 365, mm. and um, it's been a bit painful, but um, yeah, in effect, <laughs> like wean, largely yeah. wean yourself <laughs> off it. Um, yeah. But hey, uh, who knows? I may may go back bouncing again at some point, but no, it's lovely to hear a lot of your feedback on a lot of that. No, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful getting really close to to not only you know other sponsors, but actually to the actual businesses that we're sponsoring. Um, you know, we've had some wonderful conversations um, and we've learned a lot from them. So. Yeah, more yeah. of the same would be great. And do you think then that the the the, the Zoom and the in meeting hybrid approach will be here to stay forever? I, in some ways, I hope so, mm. because, um, I mean, having the formal sit down dinners. I mean, a, I mean, we have to charge a fair ticket price to the award businesses, um, and some of them, that's not a problem. But for some, you know, a one-man band stand-up paddleboard instructor, um, you know, forking out 70, 80 quid for a ticket is hard. Um, 
So that one's always a little bit of an issue. But also, you know, if you've got people sat 10 round a table, it is hard to be introducing people to others. And um, even if people come and find us and say, can you introduce me to X, Y, Z? It can be hard. Mm. Whereas um, if we can do the awards presentation bit online and then have something a little bit more informal, and ideally, if we can go to an award-winning business and actually see some of the businesses that we're all talking about, um, then I can see lots of, of merits in that. And literally today we've been looking at what we do this year about um, awards, presentations and trophies. And, um, you know, the businesses don't necessarily need those trophies. I mean, last year we didn't actually give them out at all, apart from uh, a select few because budgets were so tight. And, you know, maybe we do that as a separate enterprise and we do that as part of a, an informal gathering. Mm-hmm. So, um uh, it's too soon to tell, but um, once we get to May-ish this year, then I would love to be having conversations again with all the sponsors and saying, well, what do you think? Do you want to go back to how things used to be? Um, you know, many award schemes, um, are, are, the financial model is all about selling tickets for awards events. And the people who run the schemes are usually called an events organiser. Um, yeah. Well, the events are only a tiny bit of what we do. Um, mm. Much more of what we do is managing, judging and feedback because everyone who's in the awards gets feedback and the feedback is constructive feedback on things they might want to think about to get better still. Um, yeah. And that's very much what we're in. We're a quality development business that does events. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, those, the media run awards events are usually, you know, ticket price of 150, 200 quid. Well, you know, that's not affordable for many. And post-pandemic, it certainly isn't affordable uh, by many. And do we really want to go back into that if we have a, a different model? Um, I don't know right now. Um, you know, planning through pandemic is enormously difficult. We have always had a plan because I've always had a belief that you need a plan so that you have something to change. Um, yeah, yeah. A plan, then you don't know what to change. Yeah, um, that is that, that is true, isn't it? And I think you know, with the the model that you're building and you're celebrating, you know, what does success look like? You know, is success looking like I'm going to have a trophy and I'm going to line them all up? And this is amazing. Is success actually that I've been able to evolve as a, a person as a business? And you know, I I'm now more profitable. Maybe it's because I'm now focusing on sustainability. And we have lots of conversations with lots of people about sustainability, becoming a greener business, you know, and I think that feels more successful and it feels good, yeah. you know, to, to, I, I to remember do that. We had a conversation last year, Robin, in a coffee shop near Truro Cathedral, and you said something along the lines of um, a, a business in tourism these days cannot achieve excellence unless they are considering at least being sustainable, being a responsible organization and safeguarding the environment. Is that something that you still very much stand by? Absolutely. And, you know, Services for Tourism has been one of the first businesses in tourism in the UK to sign up for the Glasgow Declaration on on Mm. carbon. Um, I'm disappointed that more have not yet followed, but, um, and that's a, a start. Um, I mean, that is all about a commitment to measuring and reducing. Now, to be honest, right now, we are not measuring or reducing because we're flat out. 
but we are giving consideration to everything. And, and one of the, the things that I found eye-opening um, last month was a conversation with someone who said, do you realize that if you are receiving um, 150 emails a day, which apparently is a business average, that's 0.6 tons of carbon a year just from emails sitting on servers and so on. And having emails sat in your Outlook just sat there synchronizing, that uses carbon too. Um, mm. And we are thinking about it in, in our judging, in about awards events, in, um, in literally everything. Um, and uh, we've given some feedback to a business this year, um, which I went and judged. And um, it's a business with an in-house laundry. And they do the laundry and then they wrap all the laundry in polythene and then send it out to their, mm. to their units. And I said, why do you wrap it in polythene? Because that polythene isn't recyclable. It has to go to landfill. Mm. And they just looked at each other and went, I'd never thought of that. Um, yeah. And, you know, my comment was, you know, one of our other sponsors, Eco Laundry, doesn't do anything like that. It, it has bags, reusable bags, and all the linen goes in those. Um, now, that's a very easy, simple way to reduce un, you know, unrecyclable plastic. Um, and, yeah. you know, great. And, and hopefully we've made a little bit of a difference there. But, you know, the, the awareness of carbon and so on and measurement, um, we've got a long way to go. Um, but, you know, there is always a, a, an issue. I'm just reading Simon Reeves' latest book at the moment. Um, Simon Reeves travel, but you know, writer on environment and so on as well. Mm. And, um, and he says, you know, I, I do feel a hypocrite on occasions because here's me traveling the world writing about the damage that's being done through carbon and plastics and so on. And here's me traveling the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. But is it balancing out with, you know, the positives I'm doing actually helping? some of uh, you know some of the negatives and and i remember a quote from a former tourism leader in cornwall who um criticized um actually it was malcolm bell and me he <laughs> said you know why are you doing traveling away from cornwall to france and other these places i've stayed in cornwall for the last 20 years you should support your local county and our response was well travel broadens the mind mm -hmm. and yeah you know, there is that balance to have and I do pick up a lot of things from travels, which I'm happy to you know, do my best to, to share with people. And yes, I still do love traveling, but I do so as sustainably as I can. And I always try and spread, spread the message everywhere I go, sometimes to the embarrassment of my family and the annoyance of <laughs> wherever I'm going. Dad, but as, but as you pointed quiet. out, yeah, <laughs> but as you pointed out as well, is that, you know, uh, um, earlier in the conversation, you said that everybody's so busy, they need a moment to almost stop and reflect and think about, you know, what impact am I having? I mean, you know, us being a, you know, a SaaS business, we, you know, going back on the analogy of, you know, storing emails and how much storage do you take up? 
we have a lot to think about on our own impact. But for us, it's not as tangible as being able to see the polythene wrapped around linen. You know, we can't touch and feel the things that we're doing. Ours is all in code and servers and everything else. But I think as we start to talk to lots of different businesses and we spoke to, um, you know, we spoke to Long, Long Valley Yurts, for example, mm. you know, and I'm sure you won't mind us mentioning him in, in this particular podcast. And I'm sure we'll invite him into his own podcast in the future. And he's got some really, really interesting plans on how he can actually encourage travel in a more sustainable way in getting people to go and experience glamping and really enjoy it and offset some of their journeys Mm. in some way shape or form um what that really looks like we don't even we don't really know and i think this is going to be quite an exciting journey over the next few decades as we start to see businesses hopefully take a moment and stop and reflect and go okay what impact am i having on my local environment and I think it's a big conversation. And to be honest, I think a lot of people get really scared of it. And I have to confess, I'm actually quite scared, you know, of, you know, the impact that I'm making and what changes can I do to make the, you know, the make the world a safe place because I still want to travel. I still want to go to France. I still want, I want to go back to Budapest. I love Budapest. So I don't want to be borders closed. I want to be borders open and experience it. And how can we all do that? And, and not, feel bad as you say you know <laughs> it's it's tough and you know i i was at a conference last month where i flagged up that visit scotland has signed up to the glasgow declaration but visit england has not as yet and i had two directors of visit england in the front row of the conference and i i looked at them pointedly and, <laughs> and um yes a little bit of shaming there but mm-hmm. it is hard and there is a long way to go and no one has all the answers and there is a you know, the word sustainable is interpreted in different ways by different people. And a lot of people instantly think of, you know, sandals, sandals and <laughs> vegans and so on. But it's, it's not. It's, it's about, you know, future life and generation and mm. all the messages you see from, from David Attenborough and all of his series and so on. And it is, it is important and it's important for everyone. And it's not just about being ultra eco. It's, it's, and often I think the word ethical and responsible is is more um, practical for us to be using than sustainable, which has just grown up now with so many um, old and perhaps dated associations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope that, you know, the the word sustainability and how we act on that isn't in the same mindset as right back in the early career with the introduction of introduction of computers, you know, that they're not going to be like a pair of shoes that will change fashion in six months time. You know, I think this will be here for the rest of it will see us out, but it will be for what we put in place, hopefully for our yeah, children and grandchildren. It so, in, yeah, embed itself in all practice going forward. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't know what it it looks like yet yeah, like bringing those computers into you know into Cornwall and I remember in the 90s you know bringing in a computer suite for the first time and I was still at school at the time and it's like oh, this is cool and I think we're one of the generations that see so much change happen yeah quite a lot of change happens so it's going to be it's going to be fascinating so we're coming up towards the end of our uh, kind of podcasting time and um we've covered quite a lot we've learned a lot more about you Robin and I have a bit of an ending question and I'm putting an ask this to everybody over the course of the year is um, if you can tell us what tool that you use, an internet tool that you really could not do without today, what is it? 
there's so much you know, <laughs> the, the last two years it has it has been zoom and and the other online meeting options um it has it's enabled us to do things um without traveling um whilst mm -hmm. retaining remaining covid safe as well but more importantly without traveling um, up till two years ago we did all of our awards panels face to face in meeting rooms um, mm -hmm. now i've never counted up the number of miles that were done um by people attending those um, go back a few more years they all turned up with big thick paper files as well but we did manage to, to get away from that um, the last two years we've done all of those panels on zoom we've saved so many miles so much paper so many hours um, and we will not go back from that and we have done it in a friendly way and people have got used to it so uh, zoom for the last two years has got to be it before that so many other technological <laughs> changes but you know last two years it's, it's the zoom and zoom equivalents yeah and I'm, I'm glad you're you're like me which we touched on just before we started the recording was you still have a diary to write everything down and you know i still love my day book i still love my diary and that's that's great i think there's a lot of people out there still doing it that way too <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So thank you so much, Robin. It's been an absolute delight as always to, to chat to you. And um, yeah, thank you, Vanessa, yep, thank for, you. <laughs> for doing this. And um, yeah, so anybody who's listening to the podcast, I hope you found this informative and, you know, tune back in. There's going to be lots more conversations as we go along. So thank you. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and I really hope you had something you took away from listening to today's conversation. It would really help us if you hit the subscribe button, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. And even better, please share this with your friends to help us build the Outdoorium so everyone can benefit from listening into these stories.